Hello, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about the topic of rebooting society. Before we begin, we just want to say that this is only a discussion, there are no right or wrong answers, these are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything, we are just two dudes talking. So today's topic, uh, rebooting society, this is actually part three of talking about it, and so We'll link to the previous parts, but just so that we're all on the same page for this one, I'm just going to quickly go over and recap the first two. So the first uh, part that we did was really just setting the foundation, setting the scenario, and then talking about kind of like the principles that would guide how we develop our new society. So the scenario that we had was that all electronic data has been wiped clean. Uh, buildings, population, natural environment, that's all still intact. It's just that uh, electronic data has been cleared. So like the records are, uh, have been cleared, have been wiped clean. We were only considering Australia within talking about rebooting society, but we've kind of like let go of that a bit. So we've kind of expanded it. We are assuming that we have enough resources to last year. Mainly we put that in just so that we didn't have to rush things. We didn't have to try and figure out, okay, how do we get everything built up right now? We've got a bit of time to think about it. Our mission statement for our new society was that every human being is able to achieve a fully realized state of being and live a rewarding and fulfilling life. So that's kind of our overarching goal and what we're going after. We have some basic human rights that we kind of said, okay, everyone should be guaranteed this, uh, food and drink, security, shelter, health, education, just uh, some basic stuff and pretty common. Some things that were off limits that we're trying to avoid is mass accumulation of personal resources, the ability to, to do that. And we're trying to avoid murder or like death penalty type stuff. So the principles that we had come up with for our new society and these are kind of like the foundation that we want to build off of and and we'll often refer back to these is transparency honesty agency which means having your own free choice uh, accountability and or slash repercussions and I just wanted to note here when I say or when we say accountability we're talking good and bad if you perform something if you do an action there's going to be accountability for it but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be something bad. It could also be something good. And then the last one that we've got is compassion. So that was our part one, setting the foundation. And then part two, we kind of started to think about, okay, how would we actually build out society? And then we were going to start off doing a practical approach. Okay, this is what we would implement. But then we started going more of a, okay, let's look high level. How would we kind of approach the situation instead of, saying this is how we would actually physically and practically do it. We started by looking at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which kind of aligns with if you go from the bottom up, this is what you should fulfill first in order to get to a realized state. The hierarchy of needs itself actually aligns with a lot of other uh, theories or ideas about how to reach a fully realized state or become a fully fulfilled human being. So in part two, we looked at just the first level or the first layer of that pyramid, which was our physiological needs, which included air, um, shelter, water, and food. The next level, which we're going to go on to today, 
is our safety needs. So we'll progress on to that. Safety needs and physiological needs, they form the basic needs of humans. So once they're covered, it's kind of like you're, you're on pretty stable footing there. So once we get past our discussion today, we should be on pretty stable footing. Then it's going on to higher things like expanding intelligence and technology and that kind of thing. So I'll just go through the levels quickly just to recap what they all are. So again, the base layer is our physiological needs. The second layer is safety needs. Third is love and belonging. Fourth is esteem. So like respect and status amongst the community. And then the fifth stage is the actual self-actualization, fully realized stage. Okay, I'm just looking... The only other thing I wanted to note about um, part two is that in our conversation, we kind of kept coming back to it's a focus on educating ourselves about all these different things. So like talking about air, educating on us on how important it is to keep the air clean, how important it is to understand how to even breathe properly. Like even though it's an autonomous function, we have some control over it and we can manipulate it and make it more optimal for us. So We've got a real focus on education in our discussions so far. And the other thing is that we want to kind of in our reboot of society, we want to work more with in line with nature. And so that was a big theme of our last episode. And I imagine it will continue in this one as well. I said a lot there, Mick. <laughs> is yeah. there anything you wanted well to add done. or anything I missed out? <laughs> yeah, well done. You covered a lot. I think uh, I'll just add a little bit of contrary to that uh, physiological needs and um, the, the direction that we had around uh, education and the, our uh, interaction with our environment. And that was that both of those are very important in order for us to maintain our needs. So uh, firstly, in, um, in order to know why we, in order to focus on our needs, it's good to have a fundamental understanding of why they are important. So that's that education piece because Unless we know why something's important, we're less reluctant to do it. So if someone just says, you need this, uh, go get it, uh, people are, okay, I need it, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't really have an, a, a true understanding of why I need it. And once I gain that true understanding, then I see the impacts of how it impacts me, which is driv drives behaviour to, to um, try, and, try and maintain those needs. And the other one is the environment. Obviously, I think we came to the realisation that uh, in order for us to maintain our needs for a long period of time, we need to respect the environment around us. As soon as we disrespect the environment around us, it will become more harsh, which will make it more difficult for us to maintain those needs. Maybe not in the short term, but in the long term. Uh, thanks for making that addition, yeah. The why is a very, that's a very good point. It's uh, this thought that we should have both what and why. What do we need to do and why do we need to do it? Because having the what is good and if you can stick to it, that, that that's great. It'll usually serve you well, but it's a lot harder to stick to it because you don't have that understanding underneath it. Okay, why am I actually doing this? And you might start to question it and make changes that actually go against it. So that's a really good point. It's good to understand why we are doing things in order to maintain it and, and even improve on it. You can't really improve on something unless you know why you're doing it. Yeah. So great point there. All right. Before we get into talking about layer two, again, safety needs, safety and security. I wanted to talk a little bit about going from 
um, transitioning from the level one physiological needs into the level two safety needs. Specifically, I wanted to note that we really, or at least from my perspective, want to have a solid foundation and a solid setting of those level one needs before we attempt anything higher because it is a pyramid and what happens is when the lower levels start to erode and crumble, it doesn't matter how solid you are up top because if you haven't got those lower base levels, everything's going to fall. Once they go, everything falls. So you really want to make sure that um, your lower levels are well done and well set. And then you want to keep also going back to them, making sure, okay, are we maintaining this? Is anything we're doing up here actually affecting the lower levels that we need to stop and then reconsider? So yeah, that that was my main point in uh, transitioning. Just be, be careful that we don't compromise the base level. Uh, anything related to that, Mick? No, that's that right. Get our foundation right and the building won't fall over. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's uh, move into it then. So like we said, the level that we're operating at today is safety needs or sometimes safety and security needs. It's, it's said these include things like personal security. They've got employment here, but uh, I mean, I want to talk about that because I kind of think if we can avoid having to even have require employment, that'd be a great, uh, <laughs> a great achievement. Uh, resources, health and property. But obviously we're going to, or, or we will discuss a bit more what we actually mean by this and, and we don't have to stick to those specific things exactly. So we're going to begin by talking about safety because we, we had a little bit of discussion before this and we thought, okay, safety is kind of what we're trying to achieve and then security is how we maintain that safety, how we maintain what we're trying to achieve. So let's discuss first, okay, what is it that we want to achieve in terms of safety? So Mick, I'll, uh, I've been doing a lot of talking, so I'll let you go first on this. What does safety mean to you? Okay, it's uh, it's interesting, and I think uh, going between level one and two, uh, what I might try to do is just trying to because there might feel like there's some overlap, so I'll try and and make a, a clear gap, I guess, to begin with. So physiological needs are those needs in which you need in order to live, <laughs> live, live a life, um, and I guess safety is the ability to access um, those needs with a low level of risk so what i mean by that i guess is that um, if i go back to caveman times uh, the level of safety for them to acquire food might have been quite high risk it will likely be high risk um, and there was a constant need to go out and take that risk in order to acquire their food in order to possibly acquire shelter by taking over territory um, and food, which come, uh, uh, water, which comes with that shelter, et cetera, et cetera, or that territory. So I guess the difference for me is that uh, physiological needs are those that are met in order for you to live a healthy, a healthy life, I guess. Um, and then safety is to do that at a minimal level of risk to yourself and others in, the, in your community, I guess. Um, so that's the way I'll probably define safety is the reduced risk in order to get your physiological needs. Um, yeah, well, maybe I'll hand over to, <laughs> to you. What do you think about that? That's an interesting way to put it. I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but it's really just, um, like you said, guaranteeing that we have 
those base level needs that actually keep us alive and keep us going. Um, let me just look. This was a hard one to <laughs> define as well, I think, is safety. Looking it up online, I like to look up the actual dictionary definitions of it. The condition of being safe, freedom from danger, risk, or injury, which is fair enough. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty uh, coherent. Uh, in terms of safety, we can really split it out into a few different things as well. I, I like to look at it both physical and mental because I would separate the two a little bit. Physical is a lot more obvious. Most of the time you can, you can really tell when someone's physically safe. Mentally, it's a bit more difficult to determine. And with that, I wanted to mention that from my perspective, safety is often subjective under those, like that kind of description of it. So like physically, it's a lot easier to agree on what we would probably consider safe. Like we can just say bare minimum as long as no one's physically abusing you or touching you or, you know, there's no connection there. All right, physically you're safe, but mentally, what does that actually mean? What what would constitute mental safety? And so that's where I think there is a little bit of a subjectivity to it. And so, yeah, how does that sound to you, Mick? That's I an interesting. On? I never thought of, of mental safety, but yeah, that's a that's a good point because um, yeah, you may have all your needs, but you might not be a well-rounded person because of uh, possibly things that you've been through, um, or or other reasons. Uh, just just your how you know situations which you were born within, I guess. So yeah, uh, mental well-being uh, is probably an important factor to maintain safety because you don't uh safety to yourself and safety to others uh, if you're not mentally well some people can obviously turn physically violent i guess to, to, towards themselves or towards others so it uh, and that is detriment to if i go back to those physiological needs that's detriment to your own own or others lives so i think that's a good one to to consider and probably one that's yeah been overlooked yeah and this is where i want to mention also that in the last episode, we kind of, we started going down the route of, okay, let's think about practically how we could do these things. But then we quickly, uh, we quickly diverged into us talking about a bit of high level overview, what our approach would be. And mainly that was because this is all compounding. Like every change that we make will, will change the structure of society completely. So thinking back to like those level ones, and if we do have a solid level one, a solid foundation of, you know, your physiological needs are met, your living, I imagine it would completely change the landscape of compared to how it is today. So for us to go off of what we see today and say, okay, we need to take care of this, this, and this, most of those I imagine would just disappear once you have uh, physiological safety, like, I mean, so your physiological needs met. So yeah, it's a bit difficult to say particularly what we would need to um, look into without actually putting it into practice and making uh, adjustments on the, as we go. So I did have here that, yeah, back to people's level of safety is different. So there, there's like, I've kind of split it up into, there's a perceived safety in, in how safe each individual thinks. Like, for example some person walking into a market might feel completely safe. Whereas another person who maybe has different experiences growing up, walking into a market would feel terrified. And 
you know, if we try and cater to every single individual and consider everyone's experiences, you're going to run into a lot of trade-offs where it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the least safe person by their own perceptions, if we're catering to them, you possibly wouldn't be able to do anything even worse. Maybe they're, they are struggling to even live with themselves. They, they feel um, insecure just living with themselves. So how do you deal with that? So I don't know, that's just a <laughs> kind of like where I'm, where I'm trying to go with my thought process does that spark anything in you yeah yeah actually i think yeah so everyone's appetite for risk is different i guess and so um one thing that maybe it's a little bit of a tangent here but one thing that it made me think about is that uh safety also considers the level of risk a person's willing or comfortable to take so you can imagine uh, extreme sports people, uh, people that do, you know, rock climbing or, or parachuting and all the rest that they have uh, probably a greater appetite than the average person for risk, but they're choosing to do that. So maybe safety has to take into consideration that you have um, maybe not control is the right word, but some level of control over the, uh, the level of risk you're, you can take. So... Before, I guess, we were introducing that um, safety is to be able to acquire those physio physiological needs with the lowest level of risk. But in this case, what we need to also consider is people do like to take risk in order to feel alive. And so maybe it is more so that it is that the level of risk a person's willing to take. They have some control or autonomy over the level of risk they're willing to take so if they don't want to take the risk then they still can get their physiological needs but if they're willing to take the risk then no one's also stopping them from doing that there seems to me to be a link between uh safety and certainty so <laughs> there was a quote i don't know how relevant this is actually going to be but i'm still going to say the quote because maybe it will spark something in you or whoever's listening a quote from the dark the dark knight movie that came to mind when i was uh thinking about this topic and i'll read it here this is when the joker is talking to two-face i think it's in the hospital he says you know what i've noticed nobody panics when things go according to plan even if the plan is horrifying if tomorrow I tell the press, I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot or a truckload of soldiers will get blown up, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mayor will die, well, then everyone loses their mind. And that comes to mind because in thinking about, okay, what do we actually mean by safety? I kind of re redefined it as safety is our ability to deal with uncertainty which kind of aligns with what you were saying, that some people are more willing to take risks than others. And so safety has more to do with the individual's ability to deal with uncertainty because there is no certainty in life. Our kind of as we grow as a individual, as a society, as a species, what we're doing is we're trying to get rid of uncertainty or reduce the level of uncertainty. That's why we build the things around us. That's why we, you know, we, we build houses to get rid of our risk of being exposed. We build farms. We have like redundancies in a lot of things. We over um, produce things because it's trying to reduce that level of uncertainty. And so, yeah, I've got more I want to say, Mick, but is there anything? Cause that's a bit of a, 
different idea? Is there anything you wanted to? Yeah, uncertainty definitely has a play. And it, I guess it is hard to think about how you split the two because uh, uncertainty, I, I definitely agree, uncertainty has a, a direct relationship with safety. Um, but then there's some elements, whether you're certain or uncertain. If I if I see a, a lion chasing me, I'm certain the lion's chasing me, but it's still an unsafe situation. So there is a split here, I guess. And maybe that's where I had trouble at the beginning. I'm defining it as being able to meet those needs with a low level of risk. And then later on, I'm thinking, okay, well, people, some people actually want to take that risk to, to feel uh, alive. So, yeah, it's an interesting point that there's it's not from the same context always, I guess, the way in which safety is applied. Um, so, but yeah, d- definitely uncertainty has a, a direct relationship. The more uncertain um, situations are, the, the lower a level of safety is perceived, I guess. Um, so Yeah, I agree. It's, it's not all uh, ability to deal with uncertainty. It's, there is also a uh, element of... Uh, you, you, the environment around you should be, should, uh, like you were saying, should allow us to meet those physiological needs. But I think when, again, it's, it's really difficult to put it in practice, but I think if we are to improve safety, the first thing to do is to concentrate on that ability to deal with the uncertainty, because that's going to reduce the number of things that you have to deal with. And, And like I was saying, like, just improving everyone's ability so that like walking into a market is a similar level of safety for everyone. It's not some person is terrified of that. Whereas another person, you know, it's just another day for them. They don't really notice too much. Yeah. So I guess uh, there's a level of safety that is uh, considered across the community as sort of like a baseline that people can work from. So like you said, every person, I guess, Maybe I'll take a gender one with this. So you can imagine going into a nightclub, it's, I would say females would probably feel less secure sometimes than males would. would. And so what we want to try and do is balance that out so that everyone can go somewhere and feel the same level of security regardless of, of whoever's attending, I guess, or wherever they're going. So, yeah, to match the needs of safety and private follow that foundation. Um, and then from there, people can take their level of risk if they want to. There was something you said before, which kind of aligned with where I was going with all this. So thinking about, okay, how do you, what is safety in public? So I actually split it into personal safety and like public safety. So like I was saying, personal safety is internal, the level of, uh, uncertainty that you are capable of dealing with and then public safety is like we were saying with there's got to be some like baseline if you go out into society that okay this is the level of safety that you're guaranteed amongst other people and so with public safety I was thinking to keep it like to maintain those principles that we were talking about at the start those transparency honesty agency uh, accountability and compassion to maintain that, you have to allow people to make choices. That's like kind of the biggest thing. So safety, I was thinking, has something to do with the ability to escape or to withdraw from society without like any, like at, at any moment to be able to say, okay, this is too much for me. I'm going to step back and leave. 
And like that to me is like a good compromise where you're not forcing someone to act a different way. You're just allowing someone to make a choice, make their own choice there. Does that, how does that sound to you? Yeah, that's interesting. So basically, I guess, I mean, you've used an example of where someone can actually leave a situation, but it's the ability for people to make a decision without, uh, I, this is this is hard because it's a broad way of explaining it, but I guess people to make a decision without a direct consequence from the public, I guess. So if someone wants to make a decision about something that uh, has I mean, obviously we have to take direct harm into account. Like you can't have someone just be violent. But if someone, like you said, wants to withdraw or wants to take a different road for a particular reason because they feel more secure by it, then uh, public's, yeah, the public should allow that to unfold um, for, those, for that individual or individuals uh, rather than the repercussions that probably we see today, which is a lot of backlash sometimes, particularly with a minority that makes a decision. Uh, and there's a lot of backlash and there can be, particularly with social media, where they're, you know, naming people out or they're banning and all the rest of it. That is, I agree, that would be a detriment to public safety when those situations occur. And what would be considered as public safety is to allow those situations to occur. Um, so that's interesting from a cancel, con uh, cancel culture point of view because I think that not only is it, is it uncertainty, maybe safety means that we all have to become a little bit more mature in the way in which we uh, take other people's opinions. Because uh, at the moment, the way in which we take the opinions is very black and white, very us versus them. And that does create a level of unsafety in the public just through words and text, which is uh, quite, quite disconcerting, like concerning. Yeah, the maturity thing i mean this was one that we discussed in previous podcasts where maturity we kind of were on a similar page where it's about understanding what motivates us and being able to recognize our emotions and to deal with them uh i can't think of another word to use than mature in that <laughs> but yeah hopefully that that kind of uh covers it i was thinking yeah the a way to achieve what you're saying is to just slow things down i think that in terms of safety is to just slow everything down because when you're rushed when you're pressured to make a decision you tend to react and i know i've talked to you about my perspective on the difference between reaction and responding where reaction is like just an immediate reflex whereas responding is you've taken in whatever's coming towards you you've thought about it and you've you've come up with a reply that kind of goes in a direction that you want. And in order to get that, you have to give people the space to, to do that. Like not everyone can respond in the same time frame. Some people will take longer to respond and, and it's going to depend on their experience, their uh, capabilities. They'll need more space or less space to actually respond to an event or to a stimulus rather than react to it. So I think, yeah, slowing things down, <laughs> it sounds like a weird uh, safety step, but I think slowing things down is kind of uh, another general way that I would go about uh, securing people's safety. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip because if you think about, um, talking about before about uncertainty, there's, there's a, a, a rate at which people can go through the uncertainty and each person probably has a different rate. So some people can deal with uncertainty very quickly and are very adaptable to situations and are able to take them on as they come. 
other people need a little bit more time to process actually what's happening. And as soon as you uh, don't give them that space, then the individual themselves, not to any fault of their own, becomes unsafe. And the reason by, because of that, if I take your definition between response and reaction, yeah, they, they react in that situation and you push someone into a corner and they react, uh, that becomes an unsafe situation. So I would agree, slowing, <laughs> I think we all probably somewhat can agree to some degree the level of speed in which we do things today is causing a lot of fear um, and making the public arena probably probably somewhat unsafe uh, or pushing it in an unsafe direction. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm, I was thinking about it from a uh, like evolutionary perspective of reaction and the the whole psychology and neuroscience of it, where you're. I think it's sympathetic nervous system kicks into action and it's like heightened your awareness and your energy and your, you know, reaction speeds and that. And how that is really designed mostly for physical, uh, physical hazards, physical risks. So like you were saying before, if you're chased by a lion, you really need those reactions. And the fact that the reactions, there is a, high volatility in it where you're making rash decisions is perfectly acceptable in those situations because you do have to react quickly because if you don't the line will get you like the risk is that great whereas in society currently and specifically looking at our rebooting society where we've got those foundations covered there's very little reason to make quick decisions so just removing that element from it kind of like bypasses that issue of having our uh, inherent, our natural responses be quick or our reactions be quick in order to overcome some kind of physical threat. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the importance here is that, um, you know, the reaction comes from that um, unconscious part of your brain. And I guess that when we uh, use that, it's not something that we are processing or filtering. It's something that's embedded that has uh, like you said, from an evolutionary sense has been beneficial to us. It's been embedded because it's been used successfully so many times that it has become embedded. So what we need to be careful is blaming those individuals for re, uh, reacting that way because it's an embedded unconscious response uh, uh, re reaction to the situation. So just actually giving them the time to have that by reducing the threat around them might then allow them to merge that to more of a responsive situation. And so that's that speed that you're talking about before. If you have everything at high speed, people are almost, a lot of people, they, the more you increase speed, the more people become reactive because they're having to respond on that unconscious level because they're perceiving the threats coming on too fast. So you reduce the speed that they're coming in. Now they have the capability to allow that reaction to occur and if there's not an immediate threat they then hopefully will evolve to move that to a, a response and to really think about what actually happened after the event and then change that and i guess people in bed the reasoning like i guess to uh, uh, to break an unconscious or or, or a react a, a, a habit of reaction um you have to do a lot of work where 
each time you react to a situation, you have a negative consequence. And so the slower you you slow the speed down and the less risk that gets increased, people then realise that their, their re reaction was probably not beneficial. Whereas they can have an excuse. If they had to react, if the speed at which the threat's coming in, they have to react quickly, then they have a reason to reinforce their unconscious mind about, okay, that reaction actually worked, that got me out of the situation, I'm going to keep using that each time something comes in. So giving the, the space is really what's needed to then take a reaction into a response, to evolve, evolve that from a reaction to a response. You need that time to slow down and give them time to, to be exposed to the threat, but not so much that they have to react on it. That's an interesting point. So if I understand it correctly, the forcing someone to react it's difficult <laughs> like we use them so inter interchangeably that it's difficult to i have to stop and, and think about it okay when do i use react when do i use respond forcing someone to react you kind of give them an out it's like if they make a bad decision it's they can say well you forced me to react whereas if you i think this is what you were saying if you give them that time if you force them to give them that time and they still make a bad decision you're like well we gave you the space that you needed like that's on you now and you should be held accountable so it's switching like kind of who's accountable for that decision which is really interesting and, and if you think about it in our current context it means that a lot of people have got a lot of excuses of like well we were acting quickly we couldn't how are we supposed to respond how are we supposed to think about it we had to react and it's like and it's kind of like feeding itself whereas if we step back and recognize okay it's more risky to react. Let's just stop, take some time and respond. And then we can evaluate and we can accurately say, look, we gave you plenty of space to make an informed decision. That's on you now. You're accountable for that. You know, you can't, you can't blame your uh, physiology for that. That's you. <laughs> That's correct. I guess one of the things that you learn, I guess, when you're younger and you, you have arguments with your siblings, friends, your parents and all the rest of it is that, um, uh, the best way to respond that someone's being reactive is there's two ways. You either be reactive back and then they have a reason to be reactive in a reactive state. They can say, they can point the finger, well, you did this, you did that. Or you actually just s slow down, say very little or just respond. Like, is oh, okay, that's how you feel. As soon as you do that, then they're the only one that's left in the situation that's reacting and that's the best chance they have to realize that their reaction's not needed in the situation but if you have two re people just reacting back and forth it's like a game of tennis i guess they just hype each other up and each of them both have an excuse of why they're actually being reactive uh you you stop one person being reactive in that situation then it's only you that's the best chance where you get to go hang on do i actually need to be no one else is um, and you need that. You need to give people that space. And each person is brought with a different level of aptitude. And we can't blame them for that. So some people in society are just more reactive, and we often, I guess, uh, look down on them or banish them. But um, uh, we don't give weight to to the reason why they are being reactive in those situations. And it is an evolutionary thing, um, and it's not something easy for them to take control of in the moment. Um, so yeah that's a great point that being reactive and then like 
responding with re- replying with reactions like it only it, it, it amplifies it and mm. the opposite is also true if you are being responsive it can go in that trend as well it's it's like you need to <laughs> the term they use for the virus is r naught where how many people you transmit it to as long as that's less than one it'll eventually die off <laughs> you can use a similar concept here where as long as you've got 51% of people are responding over time, it'll go to like a more responsive uh, nature. Whereas currently it seems like greater than 51% are reacting, which is just amplifying it and pushing it towards the everyone reacts side of the table. Yes. Yeah. And I think that comes back to, and you were kind of uh, on the same line here, I think back to maturity back to awareness about what motivates us, what, where where these are coming from, where our reactions are coming from, why. Uh, inherent capability or an aptitude towards uh, being responsive. And I think that tying it all back to just education in general is just if that's something as a society we can um, help make people aware of and, and grow that and educate them on why it is important mm. to be responsive and, and what the effects of that are. I think then you end up with, like I was saying, you get more than 50% of people are responsive and then it just trends towards everyone's being responsive. And you'll always have, obviously, outliers. You look at the traditional uh, bell curve or the standard (laughs) distribution, you're always going to have outliers. And that's, again, education. As long as we understand that and we accept that, we can at least train towards something that is uh, reliable and and better. And yeah, I think that's a way to maintain a bit of safety. Is there anything else we should move on to security in a second? Is there anything else regarding to safety that you were thinking about? Uh, No, I think that that kind of gives a good uh, overview of what we consider as being safety and the elements in those. I guess it's, uh, I guess the one thing that's important to say that it's not exact, um, that it is probably a fluid term and that won't have any, like I think we sort of saw, saw two definitions at the start where one is about uncertainty, the other one's about actual (laughs) <laughs> our real world risk i guess so just uh, using the term uh, loosely is probably a good way to do it but um, with the understanding it's the level of risk that we we take very good so security this is i don't know uh, well this is going to be interesting because i i'm a bit unsure about how we'll uh, factor this in because Going back to if you've got your physiological needs taken care of, if you've got like everyone kind of on this similar page of uh, slow things down, of allow people the space to respond, where does security come in? Does security come in? What are your thoughts on how we maintain that safety, that level of uh, security? Well, I think security comes in, but I think maybe it's not in the form that we probably understand it as today. I guess, you know, the first thing we think when we say security is that uh, someone's going to help maintain a level of safety for you um, in some form, whether that be in a, you know, um, the government providing you some safety uh, in your public life, whether that be uh, through a police officer uh, giving you safety in a particular high-risk event, uh, whether that's a security guard looking after safety of products. I guess we always see today is security as someone uh, defending a, a situation. I guess we do have different contexts of that, like people talk about food security, um, so security of resources as well. Um, so I would say security of resources 
is definitely one of those factors that we need to take into consideration because just by having physiological needs and having access to food doesn't necessarily mean that you, uh, I guess I'm separating access to food to securing the access to food is different. And so if I think about the food one, and we can go off uh, probably on different forms of security that I think would be valuable if we reset society. But if we think about the, the food security one, I think it's about maintaining processes that puts us in a better situation in order to um, uh, achieve the lower, lowest that, that, that if we take that baseline, the lowest level of risk with the baseline. Um, and if we take the environment into consideration, then uh, at the moment, while we talk about food security in the amount of food we have, we don't talk it about it from the nutritional or, or maybe of the organic approach of security. So just because you have an abundance of food <laughs> doesn't mean it's actually providing you a greater level of security than maybe a less abundance of food with a greater density of uh, nutritional value with less pesticides. Um, there's a whole lot to consider, I guess, in those avenues. And I guess security is really the processes which we undertake in order to maintain a low level of risk, if we consider that being the baseline for, for public. So I've used food security there, but that but um, shelter and, and, and water and all the other the needs, physiological needs, I think we think about what's what's the way in best way to maintain their security of those over a long period of time. Because if you think about climate change, it's impacting our security on those needs. It's taking away our water, it's taking away our food, it's taking away our resources. We haven't got a process in place that actually balances this out for the long term. It, it appears anyway. Um, so I would say security is not in the form that we necessarily see it today. It's more in the form of uh, those processes that are, that maintain a, a long-term level of low risk. Interesting. <laughs> I was trying to, I'm, I'm not sure I 100% understand what you're saying. I've written down here though, security being uh, maintaining long-term viability of whatever it is. Is that kind of a fair way to sum up what you were getting at? It probably is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we'll have to talk about the physical safety of people as well, um, which might not necessarily be considered as the viability of something but i think the big proportion the big portion of what we would consider or what i would consider as safety if we did have a reset is actually changing our perspective and saying safety is for us to try and maintain a long uh, a long term level of low risk um collectively and risk is an interesting one about how we assess it because uh, I think food security is always talked in the context of abundance. And I don't think abundance is the only factor to security of food. Um, you can have an abundance of, <laughs> let's say you have an abundance of potatoes. Uh, well, may maybe potatoes are more nutritional that I give them value for, but maybe an abundance of celery or something like that, where it's low nutritional value. And you can consider that you've got safety because you've got an abundance of it. But the reality is it's not providing you with the basic needs that you need. Um, and then if you put detriment to that and actually then grow it bigger and grow it more by adding pesticides and all the rest of it to it, um, then you probably compromise its level of safety. 
the food's level of safety. And I don't think that that's really taken into account to the level at which we probably should. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about security in those terms. It's a much larger, more complex, more interconnected problem than uh, I guess we would initially think when you consider it in that terms. Like you're saying, okay, we've got this crop, but it provides a low nutritional value. So in order to uh, suffice or to fulfill our nutrition, we'd have to over uh, create, over produce this initial crop, which could have side effects where you're overusing the soil, you're making it non-viable for other products, you're minimizing the actual nutritious, the the produce, the amount that we produce of actually nutritious um, foods, specifically in this case. It's interesting to think of security in that way because it's, it's uh, like I said, it's a much more complex problem then because it's not just, okay, you do one thing and that ensures that everything else is going to be fine. It's like, no, you do one thing, but that's going to change something over here. Like the whole system's connected. So if you change a dial over here, it's going to change some values all the way over here that you're not even considering really, which is uh, why like, when we talk about ecosystems and habitats, it, it's, it, 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 that brings that to mind to me where you change one thing, it's going to change something else. So yeah, dealing with that, I think you go back to the slow and <laughs> and the uh, understanding about what and why, what are we doing, why are we doing it, and then think about the side effects of that. And really the slowness is the key there to me because if you act fast, if you make big changes, then you could really screw things up. Whereas if you work slow, if you go slow then and, and low intensity, then you can usually see and predict, okay, it looks like it's trending towards this and we better stop because it's actually going to destroy in the long run something else. I was thinking about this in terms of, we won't get too political here, but I want to <laughs> bring it up because it's kind of a, a reasonable analogy. Um, like natural medicine versus uh pharmaceuticals or factory made medicines natural medicines are usually derived from like plants and stuff which have a lower intensity which means they work slower which is obviously bad for us because we have to deal with the the underlying issue but they give us more awareness of okay it looks like this is having a bad effect on our health better cut that out now before it gets too bad whereas if you use something that's factory made or or specific for a certain situation if you get that wrong, it's working at a high intensity, a high potency. It's going to do a lot of damage really quick and it's going to take you a lot longer to recover from that. Or, you know, you, ha you have to be really reactive and, and with regards to it. So I kind of feel like it's a similar thing where you have to go slow. You have to make small changes and just see what happens and then play it out over time. I like the, um, the, the difference that you created there between natural and uh, pharmaceutical medicine or however they want to describe it because uh, and you related that to intensity because that i think is the correct way to relate between the two is that you know actually pretty much all medicine comes derives from plants the only difference is one is processed like processed food and the other one is not processed it's it's more from its organic natural elements and so you know natural medicine you have a particular element in a plant or whatever it is that you're you're taking fungus or whatever um, which actually is packaged in what nature considered it should have been packaged in, uh, whereas man realise, uh, I guess pharmaceutical or man-made medicines, what they do is they isolate particular element within that plant or within that um, 
fungus and they extract that out and consider that, okay, what we've found between this and this, the relationship um, goes into what they would consider a positive direction. So then for they extract it out and make it isolated in itself and that is an increased intensity about what they're actually pulling out. So it's no longer in that natural package that was actually there before. And it might have been combined with something else that's extracted out of its natural package as well. So you do take a high level of risk. And yeah, I do see speed. Anyone that's um, <laughs> anyone that's uh, even done 101 of system engineering and, and realizes something has uh, multiple parameters, so multiple factors to take into account, realizes that yes, it's a time consuming process in order to figure out what a res- why a result is occurring. Uh, breaking down the system, isolating the elements, and then, uh, you know, changing the levers, or however you want to say it, changing the levers on those individually and giving it the time in order to respond to really reverse the system. And uh, that's what we're saying here, I guess, is that we never, you know, the speed in which we, uh, if I take the environment in uh, the whole climate change process at the moment, if you think about the rate at which we're changing our planet from an industrial point of view, there's no wonder the environment's mucked up. We've nearly not really sat back. I mean, we've tried to, and there's a lot of proof out there, but we've not really sat back and thought about the processes and slowly gone through the problem about what actually impacts what in a very isolated approach, um, a long-term approach, and to slow the rate of our industrial growth, taking that into consideration instead of just going full steam ahead Um and then adding, you know, multiple parameters to the system every time something new new occurs, um, uh, a new technology occurs, roll it out. Well, wow. <laughs> we're still trying to figure out what this old device actually, you know, what this old piece of technology, um, what the impact of our environment has, and and but you know, halfway through that, you're getting more and more new technology being added on top, and so the problem. It's like it's like a feedback. One one side's going way too quick for the other side to get the feedback in order for it to go together, um, and so it probably causes a, a big imbalance. Is what we're seeing now. I always appreciate when someone brings uh, engineering into a uh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Going back to just briefly, how you're saying um, pharmaceuticals usually derive from natural substances, but they're like extracted and like made more potent it may be that over time over that progress whatever it is we're talking about whether it is pharmaceuticals whether it is um how we extract energy from the land it may be that it ends up being the same as if we just shortcut it and we just said let's just take out the what we see as the important thing it may be that that is correct but the problem is like you can't be sure you're taking a risk when you do it over a prolonged period of time you're testing it and and yeah you're you're measuring the effects before they get too intense and going back to reaction versus response this is i really see this as generally applicable that slowness gives you confidence and slowness gives you low risk whereas speed gives you a uh, high volatility and high risk, but they may actually end up being the same. If you react to a situation, it may end up being the same as if you had sat down, thought about it, and then responded to a situation. The problem is you ha- you don't have that c- level of confidence though, because when you slow down and you 
think about the situation, you're weighing up a whole bunch of different options. And that's the distinction that I want to make here. And that's what I want to kind of get across that it's not I'm saying because we do something fast, it's going to be wrong. What I'm saying is because we've done something fast, we haven't taken into consideration everything else that it is affected by it. And like, I know that that's what kind of what we're saying the whole time, but I kind of just wanted to abbreviate it to that's, that's, that's how I tend to look at it. And that's how I package it into reaction versus response. And that's what it means to me. And that's like, every time I think about that and say that to myself, I'm expanding it out to, okay, that's what I actually mean by doing something fast. You haven't considered everything, but it may end up being the same as if you had considered everything and then responded. Yeah, I think so. Like uh, (laughs) the thing that was coming to mind throughout that was like the self-fulfilling prophecy uh, where people sort of go, see, I told you so, you know, and it's like, yeah, you told me so it happened this time, but what about the nine times that you didn't tell me so and it didn't happen? So you don't consider them. You just consider the time, the outcome that actually goes in the direction you wanted it to and you hold on that to prove your your, your um, future endeavours. And I think that that's what we should be careful about. I think that's what you're sort of saying is that, yes, we can make a decision quickly and maybe it actually is the right decision, but uh, did we go through the proper process of consideration because you're not right all the time and what happens when you're wrong uh, by the time you've gone through your process it's too late to clean up the mess and often what ends up happening is the mess is hidden oh shit let's get rid of that you know let's we can't show that to the world let's push that off to the side and that's happened multiple times i mean there's many industries from from smoking asbestos pharmaceutical all of those have been known to hide their mistakes um um which have probably been often done through speed and hidden probably because they don't want the speed of the system to slow down because if we're honest to ourselves, we'd say, look, you know what? We made a mistake here. We're probably going a bit too fast at that point in time. We need to make more considerations next time, so let's update the process to give it that space. Um, And no, instead we hide it, ignore it, don't give it the, uh, 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 the daylight it needs, and then we always pull out these successful cases of how quickly we've gone through things, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, a victim of your own success, I guess, in a, in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Taking what you just said and looking at our principles of transparency and accountability, mm. that would actually lead to a slowing down because like you said, they have to be transparent about it and they're going to be held accountable for it. So they will actually, you imagine, yeah. take the time to think about it <laughs> before yes. they actually do it. That's a, that's a good point because a lot of people, I guess, would think, I mean, I, I'm victim to this. Can I get away with it? Can I get away with taking a shortcut here? Uh, that's actually probably a wrong attitude to think. You shouldn't really be thinking that way. Uh, can I get away with this just to just to take a shortcut? Um, mm. So yeah. Just to be clear, you're not necessarily talking about a shortcut where you're going to hurt millions of billions no, of people. No, 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 no. It might be. Uh, I'm, <laughs> So yes, when I'm developing, just or to save like you that, there, yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not pharmaceuticals, but yeah, like, um, uh, yeah, I can't think of a really good one, but just yeah, take, I guess maybe food. If you think about food, uh, convenience. Sometimes we'll just you know drive through fast food because we don't actually want to take the time to produce the meal, and fast food's rubbish. So you know the quick convenience approach. Uh, uh, is a great outcome. I feel full at the time, but it has a long-term detriment that hasn't been taken into consideration. Mm. And just uh, continuing on there, just because just I, I pointed that out that it might not necessarily be a 
massive thing just to reinforce that it's it applies at every scale so if you're practicing these principles at the smaller scale of oh, i don't want to do the dishes right now i'm going to leave them there it's like no I'll just do it now get it over and done with or whatever then later on when it's like oh i don't want to uh test out this chemical or whatever that i've produced it's like no just do it now and get it done with like it, it will it is a generally applicable um habit that you will develop one quick thing on security before we wrap it up uh, a way to maintain security i think is to consistently reflect on how connected or disconnected are we from those layer one needs so that air shelter water and food for example like uh, nowadays i imagine a lot of people have never like don't have vegetable gardens don't have trees don't have that they're so disconnected from their food that if that was taken away from them that it'd be in shock it's like i don't even know where to begin with that so security would be for me having a connection or a relatively close connection to it you don't have to obviously have it on your land but it would be good to be like okay i know bob he's the guy who's got the food if i ever need to go to him and then also along with that how capable are we of obtaining those layer one needs if something goes wrong so once again, if we are disconnected from our food source, okay, do we have the understanding and knowledge to produce our own? When times are good, we don't have to do that. We can you know, rely on others. But if something goes wrong, are we capable of quickly turning it around and going, okay, we're going to start growing now and we're going to start you know, producing our own food? Yeah, so it has something to do with the relationship between uh, independence and the level of security you can actually provide, I guess. So the less independent you are, you're at a higher level of risk. So your level of safety is probably low in in an unpredictable event. Whereas if your level of independence is high, uh, you can probably maintain safety in an unpredictable event because you're independent enough to try and resolve the situation i guess so yeah uh, independence is yeah key i think and that's something that i think that the industrial era has broken down particularly from a work point of view maybe not at home but from a work point of view um everyone's doing something very individual and isolated uh very narrow focused and you move them sideways and they don't know what to do i mean you see this even in in education you teach someone how to undertake um, um uh, learn some formulas in maths and they can do it. They can reproduce it. You give them an exam, they can do it over and over again. You give them a real world problem, they can't apply it to it. So it's uh, the the level of independence is, yes, um, directly related to, to safety. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's for everyone to do. We shouldn't have disparity of level of independence because um, that means that we can't achieve that baseline safety, that level of safety, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think we touched on this in the last one that we should all be contributing in some way to those, to maintenance of those physiological needs. And I guess we can expand it to these safety and security needs. So like you said, we should all have an understanding, have an independence, be able to do it that we may not necessarily have to use it depending on what the circumstances are, but we should be able to fall back on that if anything does go wrong. Yeah. And I'd like to go back to something you said before, which is the, uh, you were talking about basically um, that it doesn't have to be these big decisions that where you're making the change. It's these little decisions. I would actually say that that's the most important part to focus on. 
because big decisions when you do that becomes overwhelming and there's not enough frequency of those big decisions to really practice it. Um, where you break a habit is those small decisions that you're making every day. Uh, that's where you break a habit. If you can pick that up and change it each time it actually happens in a small event, then those big decisions will be natural to you because you're practicing it on a daily base. Uh, but if you're trying to practice it with big decisions, it's going to be difficult to get there. The frequency of those those interactions are too low and the intensity of it's too high, to, it's likely to cause people to be overwhelmed and not know what to do in that situation. So, yeah, I guess if you ever want to break a habit, look at the small decisions you're making that go against it and just focus on them. They're much more achievable. Very well put. Mm. The only thing I would add is they're breaking and creating habits. Just focus oh, on those. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, to, just in case anyone's like, well, I can yeah. break it, but then how do I <laughs> yeah, create <laughs> a new one? one. Yeah, yeah. Same thing, just focus yeah. on those uh, high-frequency, low-intensity uh, mm. decisions. Yeah. All right, Mick, is there anything else you wanted to mention before I wrap it up? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I've covered everything there. Um, I know uh, one thing we probably want to mention is we actually haven't even pulled in any government aspects of, of safety, uh, sorry, of security and what level uh, we would expect everyone to be. But I'm kind of comfortable with that, actually. I'm kind of comfortable in changing what the word security means to probably more align to something that's more valuable for us to all consider as security. And it probably takes also the fear away from it as well, um, having overarching bodies to maintain that level of safety when we can all be responsible for it um, and, and and try and achieve that baseline that everyone is expecting uh, where we don't have to offload that onto someone else. And that probably comes to that independence. So if we want a higher level of safety, uh, we're now not putting the control to someone else. We're all independently responsible for that. So I think that's a that's a better approach to probably take. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't even I don't even <laughs> thought of that. It didn't even come to mind about like we haven't really talked about government, and I'm sure we will expand on uh, that in when we do our topic on local versus global uh, yes, control. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just thought I'd mention it because it's probably a big shift, um, particularly people yelling out saying, well, you haven't considered this or <laughs> you haven't yeah. considered that. I think I have considered it. I just uh, don't think it's it's uh, as important as it would be today if we shifted our perspectives. Um, yeah. Yeah, very well put. All right then. So this going to uh, my supplemental song suggestion, I've chosen this week hobson and the song is called fly definitely check that one out Mick, when you get a chance and then the quote nobody can hurt me without my permission and I, that's by mahatma gandhi so thank you for joining us for this discussion as always it's just the beginning and we look forward to hearing what your thoughts and opinions are until next time be well <laughs>